Well, this morning, as you can see, we're, we're continuing on in the book of Ephesians. And as we consider this passage this morning, I couldn't help but to think of really my own conversion. Um, obviously, my conversion coming to Christ had nothing to do with myself. Um, I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to get saved. It was all a work of God himself. Um, but that conversion happened in 2007. But back in the early 1990s, while I was attending UCLA, um, I was actually given the gospel, I was told the gospel, and I made a profession of belief at that time. And that was probably around 1993, I made a profession of belief. So if I made a profession of belief in 1993, why do I say I was not saved until 2007? Um, well, from, 2000, from that time, 1993 to 2007, I'll tell you that I did not show any of the fruit of salvation. I continued to live like the world, and while I had an intellectual understanding of the gospel itself, I did not understand the demand of the gospel itself. And that's something that we're going to look at this morning. It's going to be a reminder to us, as those who have put their faith into Jesus Christ, what is expected of us. Because while we do not work for our salvation, we are saved in order to do good works that God has created beforehand for us. And that's the passage that we're getting to this morning as we take a look at what Paul has written here. And this is going to be very important because there are many people in the world who will name the name of Christ, but will continue to live like the world. It might be in their speech. It could be in their conduct. It could be in the things that they engage in, whatever activities, people that uh, they spend time with. Um, the fact that they don't um, have any desire to come to the church, the fact that they're completely comfortable in their sins, um, these are really not indicative of what we've been called to. Um, they do not reflect what we are to be as Christians. And as we go through the book of Ephesians, Paul has been making that clear. Uh, you may remember in chapter 2, he talked about the fact that we've been saved by grace through faith. But then in chapter 2 and verse 10, he says we were saved for good works, the good works that God has created for us beforehand in order that we would walk in them. So there is a walk of the Christian that is supposed to result from salvation. And the last few weeks we've been looking at the beginning of chapter 4, and I've been emphasizing unity. I've been emphasizing the fact that you are called to service to one another. That people like evangelists and pastors and teachers are given by Christ to the church in order to equip you for service to one another. But as you serve one another, it is going to be so important that you walk the walk as well. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to be exactly like Jesus Christ. But there should be a clear difference between the way you used to be prior to knowing Christ and the way you are after knowing Christ. And that's why we're coming to this passage here, because this is exactly what Paul is going to emphasize to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. And as we look at this morning's message, a lot of that information you have right there in the bulletin, but our title for this morning's message is Walk Not Like the World. Our text is going to be Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And by the way, I was uh, talking to Lisa Russell this morning, and um, she, uh, she had listened to an old sermon of mine from another church out of Psalm 110. And she said to me, Pastor, you went through seven verses in 56 minutes. And I said, um, is that good or bad? And she said, you don't even cover a verse here in 56 minutes. Well, this morning, we're going to go through eight verses, um, hopefully, in, in that time. And, and it won't be, as we go through it, it's, um, you know, I'm not going to go into chipmunk mode and, and start talking really fast. Uh, but I, I think uh, that these verses really fit well together. And as you can see, my purpose this morning is to exhort us as believers to forsake the ways of the world in order to become more like Christ. And we should all desire to become more like Christ. Amen? Amen? We want to be more like Jesus. I don't know anyone who has been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ that does not want to become more like Christ. And the outline this morning, Paul will explain two vital concepts needed by every believer to avoid walking like the world so that they may be like Christ. Two vital concepts needed by every believer to avoid walking like the world in order that they may become more like Christ. 
And that's the outline statement. And let's go ahead and take a look at our passage for this morning, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19 first, and then we'll look at verses 20 to 24. Verses 17 to 19 read, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And then continuing on in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So that's going to be our passage this morning. And as I mentioned, Paul is going to give us two vital concepts needed by every believer to avoid walking with the world. And the first is to understand first how the world walks, to understand how the world walks. That's going to be in those first three verses. So let's go ahead and take a look at those first three verses, starting in verse 17. We see here. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Now, Paul is about to give us a commandment. But I want to highlight this opening part of verse 17 in order to show you that this is a point of emphasis with Paul. We give commandments all the time, and especially you as parents, you give commandments to your children, especially when they're in the house. Right. Um, go take out the trash, clean your room, um, pick up after yourselves, go to bed. You know, you issue commands all the time. But if there is a command that's of particular importance, you may sit down with them and help them to see how important this command is by sitting down and talking to them some more. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, so this I say and affirm together and literally the word is testify in the Lord. In fact, the ESV and the New King James say testify in the Lord. I like that better. It's um, more closer to the Greek. But this I say and affirm together with the Lord. So he's emphasizing that this has the full backing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that's not to say that other commands in the Bible don't. Um, but this is to emphasize just how important what Paul is about to say really is to us as believers. So what is it that he is going to affirm together in the Lord? Well, it's going to be that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. That's why I've titled this sermon this morning, Walk Not Like the World. Now, when we talk about Gentiles here... We're talking about those who have not come to know Christ. Now, the first obvious question is, well, what about Jews? Are we saying that Jews are exempt from this? Well, no, because if you remember back in Ephesians chapter two, verses one to three, Paul affirms that even we as Jews walked according to the lust of our flesh and of our mind and were by nature children of wrath. So when he says walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, this is a way of talking about the world. The world without Jesus Christ do not walk the way they walk. And of course, for Gentiles or Jews, anyone who is in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a Christian. You are neither Jew nor Gentile, but you are a Christian. You are a person that is recreated in Jesus Christ. So you are to walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And of course, we're familiar with the word walk being used repeatedly in the book of Ephesians. We know that the central commandment in Ephesians came from verse 1 when Paul said, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. So when he says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called, he is now going to expand it in more detail. And the first way he expands it here is that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. And we understand that walk has nothing to do with us getting from point A to point B. It's about how we live our lives. It's about how we behave. It's about how we conduct ourselves. But now he's going to proceed to give us some very detailed explanations about how the Gentiles actually walk, how the world actually walks. 
You know, sometimes we as Christians, we just want to be positive. We just want to be told what to do. We want to be told, this is what you should do. This is what you should focus on. And we don't want the negative kind of commandments to say, don't do this, don't do that. But that's not the way the Bible operates. And certainly that's not Paul's line of argumentation. He wants you to understand how the Gentiles walk so that you would be able to avoid it. He wants you to understand how you once walked prior to knowing Christ so that you will know what to avoid. And so as we take a look at how the Gentiles walk, we first see that they walk in the futility of their mind. And in the start of verse 18, it says that they're being darkened in their understanding. Now, there's going to be a lot that he says about how Gentiles walk. But there's a few things that I'm going to want to really highlight. And the first thing here is the focus upon the mind. He says, in the futility of their mind. Now, we are probably familiar with that word, but what that word futility really means um, in the Greek as well as in the English is that there's a lack of value. Um, this idea of emptiness. There, there's no value in that mind. Now, when we say emptiness, we don't mean that it's void of any kind of thought. But it is void of any kind of thought that will bring you to God. It is void of any kind of thinking that is godly. And so Gentiles, the way they walked, they walked in the futility of their mind, meaning their mind was of no value to God. The thoughts and the deeds that came from their mind was of no value. And it's further emphasized in verse 18 by saying they were darkened in their understanding. Now, for those of us who have put our faith into Jesus Christ, we know one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to help illuminate our minds to the scriptures, right? We know that as we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit works with us to help reveal those truths. It's truths that unbelievers aren't able to understand. They aren't able to comprehend. So we understand there's a work of illumination in, with the Spirit as it pertains to our mind. But it's the exact opposite for Gentiles. They are darkened. Rather than having light, they have darkness. And just like when you walk into a room, you walk into a room, the first thing you do at nighttime is you turn on the light so you know where you're walking. If you don't turn off on the light, I remember recently, uh, my wife and I, after we had come back from a trip, she had opened up uh, one of the suitcases and had put it along the wall, but it was on the floor near the wall. And um, as I was walking into the room, I, I left the lights off and then I smashed my um, pinky toe right into the wheel of that suitcase. And, uh, and I was in pain. But you understand, there, even, even that concept of having light so that you know where you're going, you know where you're walking. And this is the same thing for these scriptures. We want these spirit to illumine our mind. We want the spirit to help us understand the text. And this is to say this, that our walk, it starts with the mind. You know, it's just like as a kid when I went to school. All of us have been to school. You know, what are they doing first? They're informing our mind. They're showing us the basics. They're helping us understand how to do arithmetic, how to read. They're showing, us, they're showing us history. They're teaching us history so that we won't repeat some of the same mistakes of our predecessors. It all starts with the mind. And even if the kids understand that in school, I would encourage you as parents to help them understand that with regards to the scriptures. That as you bring them here to church, you want them to grow in their understanding of the Bible. Because it all starts with the mind. And this is important because there are so many Christians today that just say, you know what, I just want to follow Christ. I don't care about doctrine and theology or, or, or all these kinds of things that you guys talk about. Well, you can't follow Christ unless you understand how to follow Christ. You can't follow Christ unless you understand the words of these disciples and apostles who wrote all of these letters in the spirit of the Lord. So it starts with the mind, and as Gentiles, prior to knowing Christ, they walked in the futility, in the emptiness or valuelessness of their mind, and they were darkened in their understanding. But not only that, we proceed onward, and we see that they were excluded from the life of God. Now, the word excluded, it literally is alienated, alienated from the life of God. And when we say alienated from the life of God, it means that they did not have eternal life. That they did not have salvation from the Lord because they had not confessed Jesus Christ. So they're alienated from God. But look at the reason why they're alienated. It says they're alienated because of the ignorance that is in them. And this is what happens when we don't inform our mind. We act in accordance to ignorance. Now, typically, when we think of ignorance, we think of a lack of knowledge. 
But in the Greek, this word for ignorance, it could refer to a lack of knowledge, but it could also refer to a misunderstanding or a twisting of truth, or it can refer just to a rejection of truth, that, that, they, that they have heard the truth about God, but they have rejected it. So what they do is they act out in ignorance. So this word ignorance is not merely just talking about the mind, but could also end up leading to action that is taken on account of that ignorance. So on the account of unbelievers, Gentiles before Christ, not knowing the truth or twisting the truth or rejecting the truth. They are, it's because of this ignorance that is in them that they are alienated from the life of God. We as believers do not want to be ignorant of God's will. Amen? We want to be able to know the Bible and understand what it says. But not only that, it's not only because of the ignorance that is within them, but we see also that the ignorance that is in them is because of the hardness of their heart. The hardness of their heart. And this is a second major observation I want to make here. Because as we talk about the importance of the mind, we see here another part of the body being mentioned, and that is the heart. Now, some people try to separate the mind and the heart, saying, well, in my heart I follow Christ, but, you know, I don't need all that teaching and stuff like that. Well, in the Bible, they go hand in hand. And when he refers to the heart here, he's not talking about the physical organ. I mean, that is, that is what the word means physically. It is the physical organ. But when Jews, when people who have written the scriptures, when they refer to the heart, they're referring to the center of our thinking. The heart and the mind are actually tightly connected with one another. We inform the mind with God's truth, and then we allow the mind to inform the heart. And the heart is not the organ, but the heart is where we find our desires. You know, it's where our emotions come from. It's where our desires come from. You know, and in this society, let me tell you that in America, we have this backwards because what we see here in the scriptures is that it starts with what you understand in your mind and then the mind informs the heart. But in America, we're trained to follow the heart first, right? How many times have you heard, follow your heart? Just do what feels right in your heart. And really the, the encouragement to just do whatever you feel in your heart, to follow your heart, the idea is to really ignore any thinking. Don't overthink it. Just go with how you feel. And this is how we handle, this has seeped into the church, and unfortunately a lot of Christians have fallen victim to this. They simply just follow their emotions, trusting that their emotions will not lead them astray. And then what happens is that the mind ends up following the emotions. Well, we've got that reversed because biblically, we're supposed to lead with our mind and trust that the emotions will follow. God promises peace. Jesus Christ promised a peace that the world cannot give. But it calls for us to follow him and to trust in him so that there is this very clear connection between the mind and the heart. And for Gentiles, they are hard of heart. And in the Old Testament, and you can just write this down, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36, 26. That's when when Ezekiel through the Lord uses Ezekiel to mention that I will replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. It's this idea, the hardness of heart is that you're not responsive. The hardness of heart is that you don't respond to the things of God. You're unable to comprehend the things of God. And God gave us a heart of flesh so that we could comprehend, so that we could obey. And that is what happened with each of you when you put your faith truly into the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, as we continue on in verse 19, Paul goes on to say, And they, having become callous, and this is building upon that idea of the hardness of their heart, and we understand this analogy, right? I mean, we develop calluses, and, and when we develop calluses, because there's too much friction against that part of our skin. There, there's too much pressure or too much repeated friction on that part of our skin, and then what the callus does is that it kind of removes our ability to feel. And it's, it's meant to protect the skin underneath. I remember when I did a whole lot of half marathons. Um, obviously, that was a long time ago. That doesn't look like it now, but I did a lot of half marathons at one time, and I remember as a result of those half marathons, I started to develop some calluses on the ball of my feet. You know, and it didn't bother me while I was running, but, you know, in that part of my, my feet, I could, not, I could not feel, right? And so calluses, callousness really talks about the here when it, it said that they haven't become callous. It's this idea that they can't feel. It's, it's building off this idea that they can't respond to God. 
They have become hard. They have become callous. And not only that, as we read on, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality. Having given themselves over to sensuality. Now, you can do a study of this on your own, but a lot of what's being described as the Gentiles, with the Gentiles here, um, there's a very similar set of statements being made in Romans 1. At the end of chapter Romans 1, you can start from verse 19 all the way down to verse 32. Romans 19 to 32 describe a very similar process here. But having become callous, they have given themselves over to sensuality. Now, when we think of sensuality, we often think of sexual immorality. And certainly there's a strong connotation of that in this word. But also this word also has this idea of that you're just flaunting it. You know, the ways in which you are immoral. And it's not just sexual immorality, though it certainly could include that. It's, it's any kind of immorality, any kind of rebellion against God. And, and this idea of sensuality is that you're, you're not even ashamed of it. You're letting the whole world see. You're letting the whole world see this. And they have not only given themselves over to sensuality, but they have done it for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, we think of sensuality, that's immorality, but what about impurity? Well, in many ways, impurity and, and sensuality, there's a lot of overlap in their, meeting, in their meanings. Impurity is basically anything that makes you unclean. I mean, that's where that word comes from. It's anything that makes you impure. And it certainly could be sexual immorality. It could be what you're looking at. It could be what you're desiring. But it could even be the way you're talking. You know, I've run across every once in a while Christians who think it's okay to use profanity. And they use it openly, and they use it often. And if you call them on it, they'll call you a legalist. And I can't help it, but when I'm around Christians that do that, I feel dirty afterwards. You know, I actually don't feel that way when I hear a non-believer doing it, because in my mind I'm thinking, well, they're a non-believer. How do I expect them to behave? But when someone's claiming Christ, we shouldn't be engaged in those kinds of things. Or sometimes you're around people that are glorifying violence against others. Or sometimes it's the music that you listen to. Or the shows that you watch. You know, the shows on TV, they're getting increasingly more and more evil. There was that uh, series called Game of Thrones that was on HBO. I never watched it myself. I had friends that told me, yeah, it's a really good series. You should watch it. But there's a whole lot of just nudity in it. And I just said, well, no, thank you then. And from what I've heard, it, it really is bordering on pornography, that show. And we as Christians, that's the kind of example that we can't be sitting down and watching these kinds of shows that are meant to appeal to our lusts. That series, as I understood it, if you took out all those scenes, the storyline would still be the same. So why do they put it in there? They put it in there because that's what the world wants to see. They put it in there because that's how the people want to live. They want to live impure lives. They, they want to feel good and indulge all these pleasures that should only be reserved between a husband and a wife. And that's as we look around us, we see immorality continuing to grow more and more. And even the sex ed laws, and I brought this up before, but when you see the sex education laws that are, that are, that are being pressed upon our children... And it's, it's, it's so, you know, they're, they're being encouraged to promiscuity. They're being encouraged to take advantage of Planned Parenthood. And they're being encouraged to do this without any guidance or restrictions from their own parents. And they're being told that religious organizations, for instance, that, that, that say that there's only two genders are really just exercising a form of spiritual abuse. And that's what's happening around the world around us is that it's becoming more and more promiscuous. It's becoming more and more licentious, more and more about sensuality and impurity. And the motive right there at the end of verse 19 is right there. It's with greediness. Greediness. And we understand greediness. Greediness is about the self. It's about selfishness. It's about what I want. It's about what I desire. You know, and we have this kind of thinking that, well, as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, well, what, what does it matter? What well, matters because it goes against the holiness of the Lord our God. And for instance, in the marriage, the marriage is where, um, is where certain activities are limited to. That's, that's supposed to be just for husband and wife, and not just for anyone that you want to go out with. But the world is turning that on its head and trying to, trying to encourage it as much, much as possible, even starting from our youth. 
And when we think about greediness, let me just show you a parallel passage in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Let me go ahead and read this and note the underlined parts. Because we see a lot of the same elements listed here. Colossians 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And pay attention to this, which amounts to idolatry. We are idol worshipers when we are indulging in just what we want. And he goes on to say, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. And the clear implications that we should no longer walk in them. But that requires us to really examine our own lives, which I'll talk about in a moment. But as we complete that first section, understanding how the world works, this has been important. We needed to understand how the world works in order to understand what not to do. But now that brings us to the second vital concept, which is to remember how you learned Christ. To remember how you learned Christ. This is the second vital concept needed by every believer to avoid walking like the world and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 starts with but. And obviously this is a contrastive conjunction, adversative conjunction. It's basically providing contrast between what we just read and what we're about to read. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Now he's talking past tense. He's talking to the Ephesians. He's reminding them that when you came to faith, you did not learn Christ in this way. And it's interesting that he says learn Christ, because usually when we think of learn, we think of learning a skill, learning a subject, learning, learning some doctrine. But here he's saying learning a person, which is all the more encouragement to us that we need to be able to be in the word regularly so that we would know Christ more and more each and every day. We need to know the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you did not learn Christ in this way. Verse 21, he says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Now, verse 21, we see a conditional statement. We see that word if. If means a conditional statement. But Paul here is not questioning whether the Ephesians know Christ or not. The, the construction in the Greek is actually, it's actually it's expressing confidence from Paul to the Ephesians that I know you know Christ. I know you know Christ. You did not learn Christ in this way. And I know you have heard of him and been taught in him. And this idea of being taught with him, look at the end of verse 21, just as truth is in Jesus. It is a reminder to us. One of the great memory passages of the New Testament, John 14, 6. Right? Um, that's, that's when Jesus is, is asked, Lord, we don't know the way. Show us the way. And Jesus responds, I am the way. And the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, as I look at some of the kids in our audience, you know, you go to school in order to understand truth. You go to school in order to increase in your knowledge of truth. But there is no greater truth. There is no more important truth than in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you study the Bible, when you're sitting in some of your Sunday school classes, when you're being taught the scriptures, recognize that you're being taught about Christ. You need to know Christ because in Christ is the truth. The truth is in Jesus. But here's the question. Paul tells them, you did not learn Christ in this way. So the question to us as he is addressing the Ephesians is, okay, well, Paul, how exactly did the Ephesians learn Christ? Well, he's going to tell us. And that's in verses 22, 23, and 24. And we go to verse 22. He says this, that in reference to your former manner of life. And remember that former manner of life. We just read about that in the prior verses. That the walk of the Gentiles. That in reference to your former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The old self. You see, when you truly came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your old self died with Christ on the cross. And you were made into a new creation. And that is a wonderful biblical truth. He made you new in Christ. 
He made you into a new man. And so what this is saying is that in reference to your former manner of life, that, that this old man that died on the cross with Jesus, when you put your faith into Christ, you are to lay aside that old self. And in fact, here, the Greek construction says that you did this already when you put your faith into Christ. The idea is that this already happened in the past. You laid aside your old self. Your old self died with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that self, when he says at the end, it says, he says, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The idea is that today for people who have not put their faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, they are continually being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And we know the word lust, this is any strong kind of urge or desire. We often think of sexual and often it is, but it's any kind of strong urge or desire that goes against the will of God in this case. And in this case, it's the lust that comes out of deceit. And we think about deceit. Guess who operates with deceit? Satan. And the spiritual war in the book of Ephesians is very clear. Once again, when you get to the end of the book of Ephesians, you get to the armor of God and protecting yourself against the arrows, the flaming arrows of the evil one. But Satan, from the very beginning, has operated according to deceit. From the Garden of Eden, what did he say to, to Eve? He, he says, has God really said? And when Eve responded back with what God said, which, by the way, was not a perfect reproduction of what God actually said, but when Eve responded back that we will die if we take from that fruit of the tree, what does Satan says back, say back? He says, oh, you will surely not die. And you realize what he was doing when he did that? He was telling Eve that God is a liar. He was telling Eve that God is a liar. And that's how sin operates within us. We, we seek some sort of pleasure. We seek some sort of reward from sin. And it comes out of deceit. Because all it does, it brings us guilt. All it does, is it breaks that communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. All it does, is it hinders our walk with the Lord. All it does, is it keeps us from growing more and more into the image of God's Son. And it prevents us from having the impact upon God's kingdom that we desire to have. We need to be able to walk holy in order to be useful to God in this world. That is so critical. That is so vital. So we want to lay aside the old self knowing that the old self, just as we see in the world around us, it is continually being corrupted in accordance to the lust that come from deceit. That is the way the world operates, but that is what we are to lay aside. And then in verse 23, here's the second thing that Paul mentions in terms of what the Ephesians were taught. Verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. Are you starting to see how much of an emphasis Paul puts on the mind? You are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, what does he mean by spirit of your mind? Because when we see the word spirit, sometimes it refers to the Holy Spirit. Other times it could refer to the inner part of man. And in this case, he's talking about the inner part of man. You're being renewed in the inner part of man in your mind. And this idea of renewal, you know, it's kind of like when you have a car, right? You have a car and it's, it's, it's you know, starting to get dingy and, you know, starting to look old. And you, you want to do what you can to kind of refurbish it, to renew it. You, you know, you, you may replace the engine, but ex externally you're going to give it a nice wax, maybe a new paint job, a nice wax job, new tires. You, you want to renew it in a way that it looks like what it once looked like. But in this case, when Paul says you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, this idea is that you restore your mind back to what God had intended it to be. See, we are created in the image of God, and that includes our mind. And here Paul is saying that you need to be renewed in your mind. And how do you think mind renewal works? Where do you go in order to renew your mind? Scripture. This is what God has given us in order to renew our mind. It's to know the truth of God. And this is why I emphasize to you over and over again that you need to be in the word. You know, that's why I want you to, to go through these reading plans to make sure that you're able to cover the Bible in, in a year. All of it. You know, and I know that there are some difficult passages. 
You know, I mentioned Lisa Russell listening to Psalm 110. It was because she ran into a passage about Melchizedek. And it was driving her nuts. She was looking everywhere trying to find an answer. Well, who is this Melchizedek and why is he important? And then I happened to run, her, run into her in the hallway earlier this week. And she asked me that question. And that's when I gave her the link to a sermon I had preached out of Psalm 110 in order to explain who Melchizedek was. I, I bring that story to you for this reason. Because as you read through the Bible, even when you're doing your daily readings, you're not going to understand everything that you read. That's okay. You're not going to get every single reference. You know, you're going to get lost in some of the genealogies. You, you know, you're going to feel like your brain is turning into mush when you read some of the details of the law. But stick with it. Because the more you expose yourself to it, the more it starts to make sense. And the more you expose yourself to it, the more you'll hear sermons and preaching and teaching and you'll read books and, and things will start to connect together. Because this is ultimately how your mind needs to be renewed. If you want to walk more like Christ, and I already affirm that all of us want to walk more like Christ, amen? If you're in Christ, you want to be more like Christ. Well, if you want to be more like Christ, it starts with the mind. You know, it doesn't start with a, a few tips that you can just follow this week. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't start with a checklist of, of things you can do while you're at the workplace. It starts by renewing your mind according to the scriptures. Renewing your mind according to God's truth. And that's the blessing of God that he has given us his word. And as I mentioned, it's not always easy, but you just have to stick with it. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, be diligent, right? Be diligent. If you want to be approved before God, if you want to be approved before God, you want to be diligent in the word so that you'll be approved as someone who can accurately handle the word of truth. But that takes time and it takes devotion and it's not easy. You know, I know as, as kids, and especially the younger generation today, there's, there, there's a strong sense of entitlement with the generation today. You know, we want things to kind of just handed to us. You know, we think we deserve more than what we really deserve. And really, that's not limited to kids. That's, that's adults. That's a lot of adults, too. We think we deserve a whole lot more than we deserve. We want things handed to us, and especially in this day and age of smartphones and tablets, we can make our brain go dull by just exposing ourselves to countless number of hours to just passive entertainment and games and whatnot. Recognize that that's an attack from Satan. Satan is using the wonderful progression of technology in order to dull your minds. And even some of us, you know, you, you may use your tablet and smartphone to take notes during a, a sermon, which is fine. But if you don't review those notes, then it's only in the memory of the tablet and it's not doing anything to transform your mind and your heart. If you take notes in your tablet or your smartphone, go back and review them. It's great that we have these memory devices that can store so much, but you still have to apply them to your heart and your mind. This is not your heart and mind. It's in the inner man. And I want you to understand that because today it's all about digital entertainment. And there is the amount of digital entertainment that we have access to is it just dwarfs anything that we were exposed to growing up. I mean, even me, I remember as, as a kid growing up, there was like only three channels on TV. Right. There was only three channels on TV and, uh, and, and, and most of it was stuff I didn't want to watch, except on Saturday mornings when the cartoons were on watch the cartoons but now we got thousands of channels on cable we've got an unlimited number of streaming sites on the internet which by the way parents you need to be monitoring that because your kids can access all kinds of stuff that you don't want them to see i i've seen kids watch videos of of kids being violent towards other kids cursing out their parents you know, and showing material that they shouldn't be seeing, being exposed to ideas they shouldn't be exposed to. This is the attack of Satan, using the world, using its devices in order to get to our hearts and our minds. What I'm trying to get at here is that this is a battle for your mind. We are in a battle for our mind, and you need to take control of it and start to feed it the Word of God. And not only feed it the Word of God, start to examine the music that you listen to. You know, we've got a lot of secular music that might be really fun to listen to. And a lot of that music, it might be neutral, though a lot of it is not. 
The, the, the music and the lyrics might be neutral. But the thing is, if you're spending hours and hours and hours listening to that music, why not listen to something that is edifying? Why not listen to something that reminds you of the greatness of the Lord our God? You know, and my pastor warned us one time of staying away from 7-Eleven songs. What are 7-Eleven songs? You know, you, you get a lot of contemporary Christian music that repeats the same seven words 11 times. You know, it's the wonderful thing about some of the older hymns or some of the more thoughtful songs that come out that, that it's rich with the teaching of the Bible because the more you sing those songs, the more you start to apply those truths into your heart. Watch, take care of what you're watching. Take care of how much time you're spending on the device. Look, I enjoy sports just as much as anyone. But you know, if you end up spending an entire day watching sports and that's the reason why you're not in the Word... That's when sports goes from being entertainment into being sinful. Don't let that be an excuse not to take some time to spend with God. And you can be in prayer. And you know what? Paul says to, be, to, to pray without ceasing. You know, and, and some people get confused by that. Well, I can't always be on my knees with my eyes closed. You don't have to pray on your knees with your eyes closed. You can pray while you're walking. You can pray while you're driving. You know, in fact, you, you shouldn't only be interceding for other people, though that's a big part of prayer. You want to be interceding for other people. But if all you're doing is interceding for other people, you will never get, get the, the, the rejuvenation from prayer that's intended to have. Because prayer, first and foremost, is communion with our God. Just talking to God. Being thankful for the beautiful day that we have today. You know, being thankful that all the winds that we've had the, the, this last night has, has brought amazingly clear skies. Being thankful for the return of certain saints back to the body of Christ. Being thankful for the improvement of, of people like Steve, Steve Reeves and, and how he's been feeling much better today. You know, there's things all throughout the day you can be in communion with God. And that's another way that you renew your mind just by spending time with God in prayer. So there's so many things you could be doing. You could be praying. You could be listening to good music, watching good content, limiting your amount of entertainment, spending time in the Word, thinking about the Word. There's so many ways that you could be renewing your mind. Recognize that Satan is working through the world in order to corrupt it, to pollute it. And finally, in the last verse, verse 24, we see this, and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. This verse 24, when he says, put on the new self, this is past tense. This has already happened. This has already happened. So while these verses are phrased as commandments, really verse 22, when it says, lay aside your old self, and verse 24, when it says, put on the new self, it's actually referring to something that you've already done. Paul is explaining how it is that you learned Christ. You learn Christ this way, that you lay aside the old self and you put on the new. You are a new creation. But what's interesting, verse 23, the one that we just covered, that says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that tense implies that you're doing that continually. So while verse 22, that you lay aside the old self, and verse 24, that you put on the new self, while those were past tense, verse 23 is continual, all the way to the time that you will be called into the Lord's presence continually renew your mind. And as you continually renew your mind, the more you grow, I tell you this, that for, for me, and I know this is true for so many believers that I know, the more you grow in Christ, the more sinful you realize you are. The, the, the further away you realize you are from the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we know that by the grace of God, we are continuing to grow. And as you continue to examine your life, start to, start to put off and put on. Even though these verses talk about putting on the old self and putting off, putting off the old self and putting on the new self as being a past tense thing. As your mind gets renewed, you can start to spot things in your life that you need to put away and things that you need to replace with it instead. You know, so when you start to spot things in your life that you need to stop doing, look for things to replace it with. You have bad habits, replace them with good habits. You know, otherwise it won't work. But you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And let me take you to a similar passage out of Romans chapter 12. Actually, here's a, something else I wanted to emphasize here. There is a clear emphasis upon truth in the book of Ephesians. And so when we talk about the mind, you obviously want to populate the mind with truth. But you look at Ephesians 4, 15, and you see, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects 
into him who is the head, even Christ. And then verse 21 at the end, we saw that the truth is in Jesus. And then verse 24, we saw that we are created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's the verse that we just looked at. And then verse 25, which is the next verse we'll cover next week, that's therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each other. So it's very clear that as we're to renew the mind, we are to renew the mind with truth, with the truth of God. And by the way, that verse 24, when it says, created it in righteousness and holiness of truth, you have been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. This is the new self that we have put on. And the truth of God has, has given us a, a new self that is created in righteousness and holiness. Righteousness, the idea is that you do what is right before God. Holiness is the idea that you've been set apart. That you will be set apart from the world. And the world should be able to see that in your actions and behavior. The world should see that in the way you speak. The world should see that in the way you deal with difficulties and trials. The world should see that in the way you live your life. And so these verses are just to emphasize that truth is being clearly emphasized even through these passages that we are looking at. But let me take a, show you Ephesians, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is a reminder. These are wonderful verses of salvation. In fact, um, often when you hear baptismal testimonies, I, this is probably the verse I hear most often, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But often we miss verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That, that's the idea that we've been created. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. For good works. We are created for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What are these good works? We're learning about them right here in Ephesians. We're learning about them in terms of the ministry to one another within the body. We're learning about them in terms of being renewed in the mind and, and staying away from the deeds of the world and devoting ourselves to being more like Christ. We were saved for good works. This is our purpose. Any Christian that continues living the life they lived before, I would either question the teaching they've been receiving or I've been, I will question whether they really understood the call of the gospel. Because the call of the gospel was not simply just put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to repent of your former self, repent of your sins, and to turn towards the Lord. In fact, I've even seen videos just this past week, and I'm shocked that I'm saying this. I saw videos just this past week of Justin Bieber, of all people, pop star. He's talking about how he's actually growing in the faith. And people say this all the time, so you can never be sure. But he said he's growing in the faith, and the difference is that he now understands that he needs to repent of his sins. And that's often how it happens. And not only that, but Romans, and I, I'm sorry, I'm skipping, of, skipping ahead, Looks like I don't have it on the slide, but let me read for you Romans 12, 1, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can just write that down, but Paul says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then verse 2, this is the important part. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed... By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, so there it is. Yeah, Romans 12. So that, that's, that's the verse out of Romans, and you can see how much it also is emphasizing the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. So I believe that's all that I wanted to share with you this morning from that passage, but all this is to show that our salvation as Christians comes with a responsibility. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved in order to do good works, and not just any good works. All right, you're, you're not simply just going out, you're, you're called to go out and feed the poor and to help the homeless, which is what a lot of churches end up making their mission being. There's nothing wrong with doing that, that's what we call mercy ministries when you're helping the homeless, when you're helping to feed the poor. Those are mercy ministries, but that's not going to lead them to salvation. What leads them to salvation is sharing Christ. 
And so whatever you do out in the world, you can participate in some of those mercy ministries. But the central mission of the church is seen in the Great Commission. And you know those passages. I don't have them here. But the Great Commission calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus would go on to say, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is the responsibility of salvation. That is our responsibility. I had mentioned my prior walk that in the early 90s I had professed faith in Christ, but from 1993 to 2007, there was no fruit. So what happened? In 2006, actually, I went through some trials and knew that I needed to go back to church in order to understand what it means to be a Christian. I continued to call myself a Christian, but I said I need to go back to church in order to know what it means to call myself a Christian. Now, I had been exposed to Grace Community Church with John MacArthur pastors back in the 90s, and I actually didn't want to go there. Initially, I did not go back there. I started going to some seeker-sensitive churches that were more contemporary. You know, I wanted to feel more comfortable. I wanted to feel, I wanted to, to, to feel more fun, if you will. And after several weeks of doing that, I realized I was not growing in my knowledge of the Bible. And I thought to myself, I need to go back to Grace Community Church. I went back there and I took a class called Fundamentals of the Faith, which taught me the foundations of the Christian faith, which, by the way, that's something I'm looking to bring here pretty soon. But it taught me the foundations of the faith, and it was through that class that I finally started to realize that being a Christian comes with a responsibility. And it was at that time I started to see the fruit of salvation come out in my life. So even though I went to churches that I felt more comfortable at, that were more contemporary, that seemed more friendly to, to seekers, it was ultimately going to a church that taught the truth that ended up regenerating my heart, that brought me to Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, let me encourage you that you can never live a life that pleases God. See, according to this passage, as long as you're walking apart from Christ, your mind is futile. It is darkened in understanding. But you are brought here for a reason. You have a divine appointment with God. And I am here as a spokesperson of God to help you to understand that the only way you can find your way to God, the only way you can ever have eternity in heaven, the only way that you can escape the just penalty of hell for eternity, the only way to escape all that, it's not by your own good works, but it's by confessing the one man who lived a perfect life. And died on the cross for the specific purpose of dying for your sins. Paying for your sins. That's why John 3.16 says, for, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's only through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, I hope you understand that you stand condemned before God without Jesus Christ. No matter how many works you do, your sins will condemn you as a sinner. And what's awaiting for you is going to be judgment. It's going to be eternity in the lake of fire. The only way is not through works, but through Jesus Christ. So you need to put your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your former way of life. You need to repent of your sins and commit to following the God-man, Jesus Christ. And your faith in him will save you. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and you will see the power of God making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, I would encourage you to continue engaging in the battle for the mind. Watch what you feed your mind. Watch how you grow. Watch what you learn. Watch what you expose yourself to. Do it ultimately because you want to be more like Christ for the glory of God the Father in heaven. Let's pray.